We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome into the So Rare Andrews podcast brought to you by Rotowire. I am Andrew Laird, Senior Soccer Editor of Rotowire. With me as always is Andy Black. And today joining us is Sean Newsham, PSU Fans 2 on So Rare. Sean, welcome to the pod. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we've uh, we've been chatting for a while. You and I have uh, some DFS history, so we obviously have known each other for a bit. But we uh, came into So Rare fairly close to each other. Um, I'd say one of my crowning so rare achievements is that you're one of my referrals. I am. Uh, so <laughs> I'll take credit for, for all of that. But um, we, we're going to actually talk about this last week. And with the new rewards, we decided to push it back a week. But we also thought that uh, talking about researching so rare, you were kind of an ideal guest on this because uh, I think you, you play so rare a little differently than a lot of people. Um, and I think it's because you consider things that others literally don't even think about. Not that they underthink it, but they actually don't think about it at all. And it's things that I think a lot of people just take for granted. Like, oh, I'll just buy cards and enter them in tournaments and, you know, we'll see where we go from there. And I think you you have a pretty good um, idea of what makes a reasonable plan and that you've kind of followed a reasonable plan since you joined. Um, so I don't really want to hear about your so rare journey, but I do want to hear about kind of what uh, you did before you started even buying cards, because we talked before you bought your first one and we, you know, you were like, how do we plan? How do I plan out? And I think the the questions you were asking back then, looking at your gallery now, uh, you're kind of, you were set on what you were going to do. But if you could talk about a little bit, like what you, what you were considering, like before you even started buying cards. 
Yeah, I think when I came on, and obviously uh, you were the person who referred me. I, I did win the referral battle, though, for those wondering. Uh, your, your referral was good, though. You, I think, would you get Demer Bay? I did. Yeah, so that's not bad. I mean, Cherokee's a little better, but I mean. <laughs> Slightly bad. better. Slightly better. But yeah, no, I came in and my plans actually kind of changed. I wasn't planning on having as big of a gallery as I do. Uh, but I started to notice that I people were making a lot of mistakes, even at the upper levels when it came to lineup construction and just being lazy with playing DNPs and guys that just didn't matter. And I realized, I think the first thing I realized, and I, I think I told you, was that the most important statistic wasn't even a statistic. It was play games. And that was the most important thing. Uh, if your guy plays every single game, you will at least have someone in your lineup that gets 35, 45 points. You can overcome that. You can't really overcome a zero in your lineup. Uh, so I, I think that that was something that was crucial that came in. But basically when I came in, I sort of considered what I do in like football manager or FIFA and different sports where like if I start a franchise in FIFA or even like NFL with Madden or anything from video games, you generally want to look at younger players that perform well that have upside to perform even better in the future. So I started looking at so rare data, which obviously everyone uses that will probably be listening to this uh, fantastic site and was able to look through each division and each region to sort of find players that were uh, undervalued from what they should be like guys that scored decently, maybe not the best, uh, but they were scoring decently. They played every single minute and they were younger and those were guys that I really valued and thought would be good buys because I figured if the platform continues to grow, these are guys that are going to be on my team or guys that I can sell that can play 10 plus years in various leagues and, and get stats. So like, I didn't look at it as much from a collectability standpoint. I looked at from a who can I invest in now that can produce for me, but also will be guys I can resell and have no issues doing it. Because if you bring in someone that's like 32, 33 years old, even if they produce really well, you're basically looking at it for, hey, this guy's going to be on my team for this year, get this production, that's it. Well, I want guys that are going to be on my team for 10 years that can get that production or that I can sell to someone else to get the production in terms of the return on my investment that way. So you so you were talking about how you weren't expecting to have a, a collection this big, but there, there was a pretty clear uh, plan to compete in as many tournaments as possible. I think it's one of those, a lot of like DFS people early on kind of at the beginning of the year for ignoring the whole like boom part of it, although that did play some role in it. But like I had multiple people coming to me and being like, how do I compete everywhere? And what does that cost? And obviously uh, not everybody appreciated how much it costs to like compete regularly in D2 and particularly D1. But uh, I think that was ultimately the plan, but obviously not to end up with as many cards as you as you currently have. So like what what was the point where you were like maybe just buying as many cards as well? I mean, you didn't just like go in and buy as many cards as possible, but like where what was the turning point where you were like, I'm gonna start seeing if I can buy galleries instead of just taking one card at a time, you know, here and there. Yeah, so I came in and you and I talked quite a bit about it. I budgeted out. I think you even used sort of what we talked about in, in one of your previous videos uh, where you budgeted how much it costs to play each division. Uh, but I came in and I broke down how much I thought it would cost each division. And, and obviously times have changed from where they were back then to 
to where they are now. But it, it's been discussed in the Discord uh, about how stepping up to different levels and like where you can get overlap. So I basically went through and I said, let's say that D4 would cost one Ether to compete realistically. And by compete, I viewed that as having two goalies, two D, two mid, two forwards, so that you can realistically use and pick and choose guys. And then people that you did not use in that region, you could then use in global. So I went through and looked at it and I realized that it would be about one ether to compete on D4 and then three ether to compete in D3. And that's per region it would cost that. So like, let's say I wanted to compete in uh, D4 America, D4 Asia and D4 Global. It's gonna cost me one ether for each of the regions then I might be able to get some overlap between that and uh the global so it might cost me a little bit less to enter global but so like let's say it would cost me three ether to enter all three of those then i figured it would also have some overlap between d3 which maybe that would reduce my cost from three to two and a half ether so i went through i did all that and i i also realized very early that euro champion was the most uh cost it was the most biggest issue in terms of cost and pricing to enter d4 or d3 and champ europe i basically decided going in i wasn't interested as much in entering champ europe because to me a one ether card in america is worth a one ether card in champ europe is worth a one ether card in asia it doesn't matter where i get it if i can sell it for one ether that's all that matters to me um now obviously that said like the mbappes the kimmicks those type of cards that are in champ europe i would prefer but at the same time, I also realized how uh, unlikely it is to receive one of those cards. So I just preferred getting my rewards, getting the cards I wanted. But so my plan was, I think at first was like 10 to 20 Ether would be my plan. And then I would eventually slowly progress to D2 and D1. Um, but then I realized that there was a lot of issues with people's lineups and that D2 and D1 were very, very profitable. Um, I came to realize D2 wasn't as profitable because the prize pool was not great, but D1 was very profitable. Um, but again, D1 to get into, I think at that time I had estimated was about 15 ether. So like each region you want to get into D1 was very, very, uh, costly. So yeah. I basically started looking and then I saw people buying and selling galleries and I thought it was a great way to accumulate cards that, maybe instead of buying one card here and there, I can buy a whole bundle of cards at a reduced price point. And especially at the beginning when I had less cards, I'm like, I can use quite a few of these cards and the cards I can't use, I'll resell and recoup my value. So I, I saw that there was quite a bit of uh, profit to be made there, or it was a good opportunity. Now that said, it's sort of, it's been in the th four months I've been on the platform, I would say that buying and selling galleries has gone from like really good to really awful, to okay, to really bad. And it's just difficult because some people are just very difficult to deal with when- Can, uh, can you I, actually talk about that a little bit? Uh, just the negotiations around buying someone's gallery. What, what are you thinking of? What are you considering? What data point are you looking at to come up with the right number? Yeah, so for me, I was doing it. Um, I used SoRare data, but I also did a lot by hand because as we all know, there's some inefficiencies with SoRare Absolutely. data. Yep. And if you're looking at that and being like, okay, I can't, this price is just incorrect. It, it doesn't help you. So I was going through manually 
card by card player and determining what a value point on a player was. So for example, um, obviously when I came in, I was coming in, I got in before the boom, but it was getting started about the time I started looking to buy galleries. Mm -hmm. And I would say like, let's say I looked at Jonathan David and Jonathan David's low, uh, low buy prices was like 0.5. And his most recent buy was like 0.4. And there was a bunch of traction at that, right? I might be like, all right, Jonathan David's value is 0.35. And I would put that in my spreadsheet. And I would do that for every single player, uh, except for like if a player was worth virtually nothing, I would just mark them down. At that time, you could sell any card at 0.01. So what I would do is I would mark every single card at 0.01 that I brought in. Um, that was like estimate. Like let's say there's 20 cards yeah. that didn't count. Yeah, I would, I would do that. But so I went through every single card and filled out a spreadsheet of like what I thought the value was. And to me at the time, and this is where the, the issue is with negotiations, it takes me a lot of time and effort to resell your cards. The reason you're not selling them individually is because it takes you time and effort to sell the card exactly. that you don't want to put in. So let's say that I value your gallery at 10 ether. For me to go and sell every card, it might take me a month to sell every card that I realistically want to recoup my value. Well, I'm not going to give you 10 ether because that's basically my profit in the situation. So what I was doing at that time is I was trying to look at how much the gallery was. And then I would probably take around 25% off as what I viewed as like, I need to make 25% to make this worthwhile. Um, but I did that and I was doing that. And I got, at one point I, someone came to me and I, their, their value, I came to their value at like 20 ether, let's say. And I offered them um, 15 and they said they had an offer for like 19. And they just sold it to someone else. I was like, I can't match 19 because that makes no sense to me. Right. Uh, but the issue is the issue is we saw during the boom is that people would look at their so rare data information and it would say your value is worth 20 ether. They'd be like, all right, I'll take a slight discount. I'll do 19.8 ether. Like that's not discount. I've seen the same thing happen on Pawn Stars, I think. It's, it, it's very <laughs> difficult. So it would be like, I, I started to get to the point, it would take me, I, the first gallery I bought, it took me three hours to go through and, and look at every card. And he had a lot of cards. And I believe I actually did not even go as low. And this is another thing with my, uh, with how I sort of valued things at. If there was a lot of cards that I was going to be able to utilize, I'm not going to need as much of a discount because my time and effort isn't going to be as great on the back end because I'm just going to use the cards. Um, so the first gallery I bought had tons of utility out of it. And I think I valued it at like 11 and I offered nine for it um, and, and was accepted. And then that was a very, very favorable uh, gallery buy for me. And then I bought some bundles that were also very, very favorable because what happened is when I bought that gallery, I picked up a lot of good uh, super rares and picked up a lot of good rares that it was then like, hey, this doesn't make sense for me to not play D2. Uh, but the one mistake I think I made on so rare is I bought a lot of um, I bought a lot of super rares that are just not good enough. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, there's value in having a super rare that plays every game that's going to average you 50 points. There's, there's tons of value in that. But when you have 20 of them, it becomes a bit redundant. Um, and I wish I had bought a few more marquee type super rares because that would have helped me better in D2 and, and D3 even. So 
to me, to me, the the average on those mediocre super rares like is super important. Is it? Do they like? How do they average fifty? Do they score twenty five points some games and seventy five other games? Like, is the deviation really large, or do they just literally go out and they're a uh, a high ceiling player and they pump out fifty points every game? Like, those are two drastically different players, and one of those I want. One of those I really don't want. Uh, depending on the position that they're playing. Definitely. Like forwards, obviously, are going to be a bit more high variance. Yeah. But if they're midfielders, and Black and I have talked about this off screen before, um, I want guys that are going to give me 50, 55 points every single week. Because if I get 50, 55 points every single week, at this time, obviously, again, this goes back to where we were at three months ago, and, and things have changed a, a bit since then. But back then, if you had – three guys that picked up 55 points for you. Let's say you had three guys that picked up 55 points and then you have two people get a decisive. You're going to win a card. If you get like three people to get a decisive, you're going to win a good card. Uh, so I want guys that are going to be really good and not kill my lineup. Basically I want my lineup not to be killed so that the people that can win me cards have a chance to win me a card. Yeah. I think well, there's also some of those guys that, <clears throat> and uh, black, you've mentioned this before about, our boy Nicholas De La Cruz, who like, he's usually a 60 point guy, but with a decisive, he's like 80, 85. And there are plenty of guys who like get a decisive and are 67, but like getting the extra, you know, 15 on that, on top of the decisive is really nice. Um, Sean, I think if I remember correctly, the first bundle or first gallery you bought was before so rare data had that roster prices, um, like tab on the manager screen. So like as soon as that came out, came out, everyone's like, oh, I know exactly how much my gallery is worth. And it's like, if you want it, you got to pay for this. And I think there's this like underlying misunderstanding, maybe not even a misunderstanding, but people, it's not, another thing that people just don't think about of the, yes, if, if you want to take the time to sell your entire gallery card by card, you're more than welcome. But if you want it all gone right now, you're not going to be able to get full 100% roster prices because, uh, you know, there's you could do plenty of plenty more with the with that money that you're going to use um, buying somebody's gallery by buying someone else's or just putting the cards uh, specifically somewhere else. But um, have you always thought in ETH on this site? Um, so I did originally, but I've changed my opinion on it recently. So when I came in, I, I viewed everything as ETH. And at the time, everything was going up in ETH pricing. I think at one point, my gallery was worth like 220 and I had only invested 80, I think at one point uh, during the boom. Um, and now it's, it's less than that. And I've invested more uh, just because obviously we're not currently in a boom. Hopefully we end up in one soon. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I hope we end up in one in like a, a while. But um, yeah, so I originally thought in ETH and I did not care much about the actual fiat pricing. But the way that I sort of view it now is that my investment vehicle is a fiat investment vehicle with ETH attached to it. And if I invest $100,000, I'm gonna expect the $100,000 to go up regardless. But if ETH goes skyrockets to 4,000, 5,000 a coin, I will have less ETH than I would if it went down. If ETH goes down to let's say 1,000 
uh, dollars per coin, I think my ETH value will skyrocket. So I think in both situations, your fiat value will increase, but your ETH value may be dependent. So uh, I, I, I've talked to a few people. It works really well as a hedge on ETH that some people get killed when ETH price goes down. Like I was talking to a lot of people that were obviously trading and uh, doing a bunch of stuff with ETH and they got killed when ETH went from $4,000 to $2,000. On so rare in that situation, you're going to print a lot of ETH in that situation. It's going to go way up. I, I think in, in terms of ETH, if, if Ether went to 500 a coin, I think I could turn my gallery that's worth like, let's say 180 into like 500. Uh, so, but regardless, my fiat value will go up. So I, I've changed my opinion. My goal is still to accumulate ETH, but I've removed the idea that it's an ETH investment vehicle and just realize it's a, it's a fiat investment vehicle. And then my idea is going to be, I'm going to sell when ether prices are low and I will buy when ether prices are high is sort of how I'm viewing things. Yep. And, and also you can, you can offset. So, so let, let's say ether goes to $4,000 a coin. You can offset losses that your value isn't going to be worth as much by winning rewards. Uh, so like you might lose some value in terms of ETH, but you might win rewards to offset some of that value. So the way I look at it is like, you're going to go up in fiat regardless, hopefully, knock on wood. Uh, and then ETH is basically a hedge off of ETH. So if you're a person that thinks ETH is going to go to $10,000 tomorrow, don't have your ETH on so rare. If you think there's going to be ups and downs and ebbs and flows, then I would recommend being on so rare because you can sort of sit there and instead of trying to time the market, you just let your cards time the market for you and you just buy and sell at the opportune times and it will work out just like that. Instead of having to take a risk, you just do it. And the whole time you're earning more and more rewards, which therefore makes you earn more and more rewards because you're getting better cards, you're getting more money to put in and all of that stuff. Yeah, that definitely kind of goes in line with what uh, Evaldo said two weeks ago, just that once you're you know, once your ETH is on so rare, you're now taking part in the ups and downs of the card market, the digital card market, not necessarily the uh, ETH market. And so if you're just looking to invest in ETH and you just go invest in ETH and if you want to play this game and uh, possibly accumulate things that you can then sell for uh, ETH and you do that. Um, so obviously uh, the budget you came in with is um, different than those who are trying to come in on a lower budget. Um, but you you kind of mentioned how you were looking at each specific region uh, and then uh, seeing how much it costs to get, you know, a few cards in each one. And then you would use sort of the extras in All-Star, which kind of goes counter to what I have told people, you know, who are just getting in on a budget or like, you know, it, there's a lot of like, just go for the global All-Star D4 and for the threshold. For those who have a little bit of a bigger budget do you think that targeting a specific region and then using extra cards from that region is the best strategy for then getting into global yeah i mean i think that getting a region and focusing on the region is better than global because if you're focusing on a region you can always enter two contests you can always enter uh you can always enter that region and you can always enter global if you just stack a bunch of good global cards then you can't do that. You can't enter a region. Now that said, like I, like you talked about, I, I my gallery is bigger and what I came in with uh, in terms of how many ETH I invested, 
is a lot different than what a lot of people have the ability to do. However, my plan was not that. I did all my preparation plan to come in with five or 10 ETH. And, and I think you can make a lot of profit coming in at five or 10 ETH. You just have to think things through properly and you have to plan properly to do it. But there's no reason you can't play like all the D3s and D4s for around 10 ETH, uh, especially the D4s. Like I think right now you could play a D4, a good D4 lineup for under one ETH easily. And if you're sitting there, it takes one week. I actually, there's someone I talked to. I won't say his name because I don't know if he would want me to say his name, but we had talked and we were trying to do a deal and we ended up doing a deal um, where we like sort of traded and we hedged out. It was actually, I traded out, um, I offered you uh, my Yuyaoki and you just refused to get rid of your Go Hatano card. Uh, but I ended up, I wanted to diversify. So I talked, I talked a bit about that and, uh, I, I told him I was sort of talking to him. He his gallery is nothing big. It's it's pretty small gallery. And he and I talked about like what to do, what strategies to use. Since we talked, which was probably like a month, a month and a half ago, we like I sat there and I spent quite a bit of time talking to him on Discord. It was it was good, enjoyable for me. We were just shooting the shit. Oh, sorry, is this PG or am I good? <laughs> you pulled an Evaldo there. Don't oh, worry my about bad. it. My bad. So anyway, so I sat there and we talked. Since he planned his gallery and sort of looked through things, he's had three podiums in a month when he's never had that before. And he's won, I would say, two ETH in cards just in those three podiums. So, like, and his teams are not anything extravagant. Like, his teams maybe cost him 0.8 ETH and he recouped it in one week. So, it, it's something that's doable um, if you put your mind to it but a lot of people just don't want to do that they don't think about things very well they don't uh plan ahead they don't plan what their team should look like and it gives them problems uh in the long run that they just can't really overcome but in terms of like if you have a smaller gallery getting that 0.02 eth every single week is awesome because the worst thing that happens is you get your 0.02 eth well if ether is whatever it is you're getting 60 80 bucks a week that no one's going to take that away from you. It does not matter where you finish, how many people beat you, you get that. So I, I think it's definitely something to focus on as a uh, person with a smaller gallery, but you may have a bigger issue getting cards. Cause I think you know, you've shown the graphs, like you're more likely to get a card in American D4 as you are in global D4. So you have to think about where it makes the most sense and, and priorities have changed since this recent update. I, I'm sure we'll probably talk about it, but the priorities in where my lineup construction has changed 100% from where it was last week to where it is now. Like my construction and how I prioritize uh, changed entirely. So it's something like your priorities can always change and you can always improve them based on what's ahead. Like this week, um, I sat there and looked at all the prize pools and all the structures for this midweek. Yeah, there's not much going on, but I realized that D4, you can't win anything worthwhile. D2, you can't win anything worthwhile. D3, if you win D3 and you get a top four in D3, you get a tier one or tier zero card. So to me, it's well worth putting in your stuff in D3 in this midweek. So like each week might be a different situation of where to enter your cards and where not to. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's all stuff that people don't necessarily think about. And it's I think that's why we're discussing it today because um, I think there's a lot of like, let me get some cards and enter where I can and I'll just see where it takes me. And um, we, 
I've had enough people tell me that the most important thing on so rare is to be patient, which um, I continue to just have fly right past me because I, it's just not fun to be patient. Um, but I think what you were saying, uh, like, I think one of the problems people have is they'll buy certain cards, uh, which they will think they're like, this is a long-term card. The guy's young, maybe doesn't play that much, but I think, you know, he'll be good one day. And then they kind of get stuck because a player good one day is not necessarily good today. And so now it's like, I haven't won in a while. And it's like, well, if you, this is what you have to think about before you buy cards like that, that it's okay. If you haven't, you know, if you want to play, then you need cards that you can play. And it, you know, if you want to expand from there and, you know, buy a guy that might be good in five years, like that's fine. But these are like things that you should be thinking about before you buy cards. And I think a lot of people do it after they buy, which, and then it's like, well, I now I'm stuck. And I think maybe like some negative experiences come from that of like, I, I haven't won a card in forever. And it's like, well, maybe if you bought like one guy who wasn't 16, you might be winning a card um, by now. So I don't know. Right. You can only get away with that when, you know, you have the budget to allow for it. And, you know, I think that there's probably a lot of that buying with your heart, you know, buying a player from the team that you support or your local team, whatever and not really buying a player that makes the most sense for your lineups. And like, I buy a lot of players that I, um, that are maybe really young or, or a team that I support. Um, but I'm not, I'm not desperately throwing them into lineups. I'm setting them aside. They're, uh, I'm, uh, they're completely not going into lineups. They're just waiting there for next year or whatever. Uh, but I, I I know that there's a lot of that going on where it's people buying with their heart and trying to make it happen when it's not happening. This this is the Joao Felix portion of the show, right? There you go. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it's black. Black said it perfectly. And in Laird, we we had talked before, Blake. The first month I was on the platform, I berated him. I'm like, why do you have so much ETH tied up in players like this? Because Laird's gallery is a good gallery, but it's not something that is extravagant that ha that can have guys uh, not play. So I remember at the beginning, he had his boy, Raynon Lodi, he had Hosama War, and he had Joao Felix. And it's like, these are great cards, but in terms of playability, they're going to struggle and they might not play some games, which therefore leaves you hanging because we talked about earlier in the show, you can't make up zeros. Right. If you have one person in a five-person life out, you're just kind of sitting there uh, like a duck. But at the same time, you can totally flip the script. At one point, Joao Felix was worth 10 ETH. If Laird sold Joao Felix at one of those price points, he looks like a genius in that situation. And like, so we know that situation can occur. So maybe in the next two months, we hit another boom and Laird, I'm pretty confident this time, would, would pull the trigger and dump Joao out the door. But it's, <laughs> it's situations like that. Like my gallery is, is pretty big. So I bought Moses Nyman Super Rare today. Well, Moses Nyman Super Rare right now wouldn't be worth much to anyone because you can't really play him. But for me, with a bigger gallery, I can sort of sit on him. But uh, yeah, one of the misconceptions a lot of people do is like they buy these younger cards that um, could be good in the future, which by all means, that's that's great. But if you have a smaller gallery and you have, let's say, five ETH to play with and you spend 0.25 on a guy that's literally just not going to get you score points that matter. There's no point in having him. He's really a detriment uh, to your team. Now that said, maybe you get lucky. And this is a guy that 
you can flip for one ETH in a little bit. But looking at strictly from a playability standpoint, having that guy and having a small gallery can be a massive hindrance. Yeah, I think one of the things that people kind of forget um, is when it, it, they basically buy a card. I think a lot of people buy cards thinking, I'll be able to sell this for more later. And if I can play this card now, like that's great. And I feel like a lot of the people who we see towards the top of the standings each week are people who look at cards and say, I can play this card. And if I play this card and he does well, then I'll be able to sell it later. Like I think the there's too much of too much of a thought of people who look at card to buy like the first consideration is how much will I be able to sell this card for? And it's less like how many cards will this one allow me to win? And when you start thinking like how much can I sell it for, your your time frame goes really deep. And so it's like, you know, if I buy like a Yari right now or uh, Alfonso Davies just picking off my own, like I can sell this car for a lot in 10 years, maybe. But like, they're not always the best cards like right now. Joe Felix was the example. Um, like, yes, I, so I bought that card. I remember when I got it, I was still thinking in fiat back then. I bought that card for $368 thinking I can sell this card for 500 soon. And then I, I turned down 5,000 for it. I still have the card. If anybody wants to give me 5,000 for it, I'll happily take it now. Um, but like, I think that, so, but my whole thought in buying that card was not, it had nothing to do with the game. And not to say that like, you can't play so rare just to trade. Like there are plenty of people who do it. But like, I was at, at that time, I wasn't thinking about playing the game. I was thinking I can make 120 bucks on this card. And I think there are just too many people who, with with the way that cards move now, and I think people underestimate that the, a lot of the market moves based on utility in the game. So like buying cards now, if your first thought is, I can make money on this card, you really have to think of like how long that is. And if it's long-term, you're probably better off spending money on a different card that can help you win more cards right now. And you could make more money over that time frame than just waiting 10 years to, to sell Joe Felix. Yeah. But, but you're right though. Like you are right. You, there's so many different ways and utilities with silver. You could do either or um, like we talked about, you had the card and it could, it could have sold maybe tomorrow it sells again, or like all these cards can sell. But yeah, the way I look at it is the playability of the card. I can, I'm always going to be able to play the card. Um, I have that option while he's in my gallery. Like I can't, always sell a card for what i want to sell it for but i can always use them so let's say a card i'm let's say a card i buy for one ether today um i can sell for four ether next year and there's also a card i can buy for one ether today and then i can sell for three ether next year well if i can make like two and a half ether in the meantime using that card that card might be a better option uh, this last week actually in america d1 um i could not feel the lineup uh, because Cavallini was on uh, his bye week. Assad literally is stranded on some desert island somewhere. And uh, and Tennerholm was out, and I expected him not to play. So I couldn't field a D1 team. So I looked on the transfer market, and Brandon Bai was there, who was like 0.5 ETH. And I looked at Brandon Bai, and he's not great, 
Uh, he does have some upside, and if you watch him play, I actually think he's pretty decent. Yeah. Um, so like those help. But I looked, I'm like, man, I think having cover is important to me right now in D1, and I really don't think I can get much less than 0.5 in the long term for him because he's plays every game virtually, and he does have upside scores. Like he's not a guy that is a zero. He can get you 70, 80 points. Um, so anyway, so I bought him. And he had an okay game. He actually he hit the post twice, had five shots, and had three key passes, uh, and got fifty three points because he lost possession so much. But those, those wingbacks, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's rough. But he still had fifty three points. Fifty three points isn't terrible. So, anyways, because I I had him, I finished second in D one in America, and I won 0.3 ETH and a card Eloy room super rare that was worth, let's say 0.7 ETH. So if I did not buy the card, I couldn't have even played D1. But because I spent that 0.5 ETH on him, I can I won one ETH effectively back. And I'm still pretty confident I can easily sell Brandon by. Like I think if I sold him right now, I could probably get more than what I paid for him last week. But even if I couldn't have, like just having him on my roster, let's say I keep him for the next year and then I sell him for one ETH. That's fine with me because he already paid that off and more. So it doesn't even matter. Right. I think for a lot of people listening to this, you could just divide all those numbers by 10 and it's still applicable to, to D4. Like, I think just like we said, like, I think you people underestimate utility when they think too much of like, how much can I sell this card? For? Yeah, I disagree a little, little bit just because, you know, like that one player, D D one and D four are just so drastically different. Where yeah. you know that one card that you buy typically isn't gonna well, it's not gonna like get you into the division um, in the same way that it will with D one, and it's not gonna make that big of a difference. Like I don't know. There is there is an application to this though. Let's say you want to buy it. Let's say you're looking at this midweek, right? And you have everyone except for a midfielder. Sure. And you look at the 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 transfer mark and you look at Sora data and you see Andrew Black averages like 55 points a game. The rest of my team's really solid. Um, I'm probably like very likely to hit the threshold. Because let's be honest, I threshold when I came on, a lot less people were hitting it. Now most people have understood like how to hit a threshold. Right. And hit the threshold. So like let's say you see that card at 0.04 ether. Well, if you're like, well, I'm pretty very likely to hit the threshold. I'm going to hit the 0.01 for sure. I'm like 70, 80% to hit the, the 0.02. And I also have, let's say, 20% equity to hit a card. Well, you basically look at it and you're like, well, I can basically get this card for free if, if I look at it like that. So, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a different viewpoint, but it's the similar thought process behind sure, it. Sure, that's fair. That's almost like the opposite like the complete opposite of the long-term thinking of when can I sell a card? Because the utility is literally for this game week. Like I did that yep. uh, two weekends ago, or maybe it was a midweek, whatever it was. I, I needed a defender for, for U23 D4. And I bought someone and ended up winning a card that was worth more than the guy that I bought. This, so it was this like, week. yeah, this week. So the special, the special weekly last week was, was very winnable. If you had a team, so I had uh, my friend who layered, you know, from uh, DFS, Third and Schlong, he had a um, Boadu, Harawi, Bijlo, and Diego Leite. And he was he just was missing one card. Or no, I'm sorry, he didn't have Leite. He had uh, someone else. 
And I sat there, I looked at his team. I'm like, if you get a top 20 in the weekly special, you're going to cover the cost of whatever this card is. So he bought a Leite for 0.1, which was overpaying for it. But he's a good young prospect anyways. He's he's not terrible. He's a good card to have. So I'm like, you should just buy this card because you're very likely. Like, I think I think there was only like 30 or 40 teams that had five guys in that yeah. in the weekly special. So like you're very likely to get a card. And top 20 was a tier three super rare. Well, if you get a tier three super rare, I know people always bash them, but they're generally worth 0.1 ether. Anytime you want to give me 0.1 ether for free, I'll take it. Um, so he bought the, he bought the card. He entered, he won the weekly special. I'm still not sure if he gets a special card for that because I know they usually give out a special card for top three. I'm not sure if he gets one of those, but he won a Tyrell Malaysia super rare. Uh, Tyrell Malaysia Super Rare, I, I don't have it up, but I'm going to assume is worth at least a half an Ether, maybe like a full Ether, somewhere in that range. So by spending 0.1 ETH for this week, he picked up a card that is a decent long-term card. He scores well on a good team when he plays, and Pepe's old, so he should start playing more. And he turned that into literally an immediate point, let's call it 0.5 Ether um, reward. And, and he might get a special card. I don't know if the top three got one. If he gets a special um Boadu or a special Nemcha or like any of those guys like he turned he turned 0.1 ether into one yep. ether immediately that sounds like it worked out well <laughs> and like um, it, it's not even just that card too like I finished <clears throat> eight and got Matisawa or Matisawa he's probably worth 0.25 uh so it's the same thing like let's say he paid 0.1 gets a 0.25 card who cares it's still a good investment yeah yep um switching up a little bit sean when you started did uh so i guess you started in like february is that right yeah i think it was well so like i think i was on the platform in mid-february but i don't think i like i i had like very minimal cards until let's say march 1st okay uh so yeah so obviously champion america wasn't going on at that point and i guess champion asia was probably just starting did you consider any of the regions, like when you researched it, did you think any one was easier to get into than the others? Obviously, you mentioned that the cost of, of champion Euro is just so much higher than the others. Um, and competing in there, it feels like is just imp impossible to me. But uh, did you look at like Challenger Europe and Asia and uh, America and think like this one, I think I can, I can get in a little cheaper and, and I can get... Uh, better results or did you kind of view them all the same? Uh, so I viewed them similar. However, I also viewed, I, I, this worked well to my favor. I'm not going to say it was like pure brain. It was, it was a lot of luck in this situation too, but I figured MLS was very undervalued because we were like two months away from the season. So I actually came in and I would say a majority, I, I can still look at a majority of my purchases. Like my first purchases on the site were Melly Muhlenstein and Yuma Suzuki. Um, they were like my first purchases, but after that, my early purchases were, uh, Lucas Cavallini, Clement Diop, um, Albert Rusnak, who's been terrible. Uh, Jesus Medina, I paid next to nothing for. So like I came in and bought a lot of, um, MLS cards knowing that I would have them for the whole summer and rest of the year and got a lot of really good deals because of when I bought it. But yeah, I came in and looked and I was just like, I looked through the scores and the scores in, Europe champ were just absurd. And I was like, I'm not interested in that. So a majority of my gallery 
is Euro Challenger. If I look through my gallery, a good portion of my gallery is Euro Challenger. I would say half my gallery. Now, maybe not half, but at least 33, 40% is Euro Challenger cards that are uh, cards that I looked at immediately when I came in. So I came in, I bought America, and then I actually, I waited to Asia a bit later than I would have, but that's more because I had no knowledge on Asia whatsoever coming in. And I asked a couple people that helped me that were uh, interested in Asia that had a bit of knowledge. I asked them some questions and they, they really helped me. Um, so I'm grateful for that. And then I bought a lot of Euro Challenger and I have a lot of guys in that. But also, like I said, the, the, one of the big keys for me was that gallery I bought. That first gallery I bought, it had cards like Jonathan David, Junior Ito, Teo Bungonda, um, Victor Oshaman. So like I was getting, and then it also had like a lot of goalies that were playable. So like it had like Augustine Marchison, it had uh, Akin Feyev, it had Jan Vogo. So I ended up getting a lot of cards that were all decent cards That's from the gallery. And, and like I said, like we bought, I bought that gallery. I think I paid nine ETH or four, give or take. And I think it was worth like 11. Um, and in 48 hours, the gallery was worth like 35, 40 ether because that's right when the boom happened. But like all the cards I got from that gallery were super high end playing cards that I noticed when I'm looking through it. I'm like, all right, this is a guard that I could use. This is a guy I could use. So like as I'm going through, it's like over and over players that I am looking up and I'm like, these guys have great L15 scores. These are guys that score really well. And then I would also look at their contracts. I'd be like, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, this guy's under contract for another two years, scores really well on this team, plays every game. So I'm very confident in picking up a card like this. Uh, but so, yeah, Euro Challenger's a big area for me, and I realized that that was a good spot. Also, I noticed that Euro Challenger players at the time, a lot of Euro Challenger players score as good, if not better, than Euro Champ players. So my plan was to play Euro Challenger and then play those players in global. Because, for example, like, I can buy Joshua Kimmich for – four ether at the time, or I could buy Morioka for like 0.4 ether and I can run in a global and get the exact same score. It doesn't matter in global. Um, so that's sort of the way I looked at a lot of that stuff. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, 
Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I think uh, if I remember this correctly, the line that you used early on was we were talking about how um, how SoRare makes you look at players very differently, like guys you would have never looked at. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, this guy's really good. You had one from Champion Asia that I unfortunately can't remember, but I remember specifically you were like, SoRare makes you realize, and this is more in the context of the game, obviously, but you were like, I know that Gianni Bruno, to bring him up again from Ivaldo's podcast, I know Gianni Bruno is better than Sadio Mane. And it's yeah. like, when you say that, like, I feel ridiculous saying that, but like utility in the game, it's unquestionable. Like he absolutely is. And so if you're going in, like, I'm going to go get Mane. Well, it's like, you're going to go get Mane because I think you're more likely to think you can sell him for more. You probably can, but you're going to win more with Bruno. Uh, and I think that's like one of those odd things about so rare that like, you have to decide how you're playing. And if you're playing like for utility, like I think that was sort of the point of your, of that first gallery is that like the utility of those cards was so high. And I think a lot of people selling galleries don't necessarily think that they were like, well, I'm going to look at all these cards and if I can sell them all, then I can make more money doing it. But like, if they're like high utility cards, then like you could make so much more than just selling on from what you bought. Yeah, for sure. Like I, if for the price that it would cost to buy Saudi Omane, I could buy an entire team in champion <laughs> right. Europe or in challenger Europe. So like, and like, so like then, and I'm sitting there in global and I play my Gianni Bruno and you play your Saudi Omane. I'm probably expected to get more points along with the other four players that I bought for the same price. So yeah, like it, a lot of it goes into that, like how much utility. Now that said, like, obviously you want guys like Lewandowski, you want guys like Kimmich. I literally don't have any of those players. I, I couldn't, I couldn't even tell you who my most top end player is. Um, like if like who, what player on transfer market is worth the most money in your gallery? Be a fun one to look at. In my gallery, are you talking about rares? Any card. Well, any card would probably be my McKenny unique, but oh, I was thinking it might be uh, Ozeman. I, I don't have Oshman unique. I, uh, I have his his. No, no, no. I, I sold that immediately to Zura when I bought the a second gallery. When I bought a second gallery, I sold that immediately to Zura. If you remove, um, if you remove my uniques, and if I, I think scroll just down. To look at my super rare, so like yeah, I'll I, I mean, like transfer market, like the actual players' value, like oh, in oh, real life, player value. Yes, um, like who's the best player you have? Yeah, I got it's probably Oshaman or no, I think it's probably Oshaman. Uh, maybe Fofana. Like maybe Fofana. Oh, like, but there's like there's no Mbappe, no. there's no Neymar, no Lewandowski, nope. no Kimmich. I have no top end champion Europe players. And, and honestly, I don't have like the top, top end players in any region. Like in America, I don't have Vela. I, I mean, I guess I do have Rossi in, in America. Um, and in, in Asia, like I don't have Cecenia. Um, Champ Europe, I don't have Mbappe, Kimmich, Lewandowski, Ronaldo, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have any of those guys. <laughs> um, in or Challenger Europe, like I don't have Bergwies, I don't have Tadic, I don't have Noah Lang, I, I don't have those guys. But the way that I was able to construct my rosters, I've been able to have really good returns. 
with the hope that I eventually win one. Like, I mean, I think everyone's hope is obviously you eventually win an Mbappe. Uh, right. that's, that's what everyone's goal is. Like, you want to get lucky that one week where you have the nut lineup to win an Mbappe. But I, you can you don't need these top guys. Like, I mean, looking right now, like, I could make – I could probably make a team in global that is under an ether that is, like, top 10 point producer in each position type of thing. Um, that's under like an ether, under ether and a half. A goalie, as we've talked about before, it doesn't matter. Um, I'll play whoever fits and stacks well with my team, but like in terms of the actual goalie, I don't, I don't care at all. Um, but just use in, a common. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not. I care more than that. I, I yep. care a little <laughs> bit about the goalie, but I don't care that much about the goalie. So um, real quick, when you're when you're trying to come up with those top ten point getters in each uh, position. What's your how, – how are you actually scouting? Like, I'll tell you, my method is I, I use the player rankings page on uh, server data, and I, I'll sort by – if I'm buying for a particular particular region, I'll sort by that region, and I'll just look at the – I'll compare the L15 with their price and look at – kind of do my own calculation in my head on value, and really that's what I'm looking for is value. Yeah, I, I do pretty much the same thing. I'm looking at, I want to see who, that, that's how I did my original buys. I would sort and look through and be like, all right, this guy scores as good as everyone around him, and he's like 0.04 ETH. Everyone else is 0.09 ETH. Mm-hmm. Guy's a guy that I should be picking up. Uh, one guy that I did that with that was stood out a lot at the time was Daniel Munoz um, from Gang. He like was a top three yeah period in the game over like an L15 his L40 was really solid all the other defenders were like substantially substantially uh more than him around there but like yeah if you look so you look at defenders right now and this is global defenders in the top 10 you have at ninth in global defenders in, in L15 is Robin Proper you can buy his card for probably 0.1 ETH and this is a guy that averages you 67 points per game in the last 15. And in the last 40, he averages 58. So this is not a guy that's like terrible outside of the last 15. Like, yeah, he's on a bit of a, a good streak. But like, this is a guy that is like at the, and he's not old, he's 27. So this is a guy that's like, you're going to get four to six years out of and, and have really good um, results. Similarly, like you go to the midfield situation. And I'm only talking guys that are going to play every game that score pretty decently well. So if I go to midfielder, Gregor Krakowiak scores 67 points per game um, over the last 15. His all-around scores are really strong. Same with proper. We talked about all-around. I want my all-around scores to be great. Um, And this is a guy that even like over his uh, L40 is like 57 points a game. Is he the best player of all time? No, but when I can pay for him, Instead of, let's say, Rodrigo DePaul. Rodrigo DePaul is 7x his price, and in the L15, Krakowiak is barely ahead of him. Why am I going to pay 7x the price for that of DePaul? And then I go to forwards, and you look through the forwards list, and Juni Ito, you could probably get for, let's say, 0.3, 0.35 ETH. So like those three guys that we just talked about right there, you just spent 0.55 ETH you have a top 10 player in each position for like 
let's say a third of the price that it would cost you just to buy Lewandowski. And then you buy yourself a goalie. Let's say you buy whoever. Um, I think there's some for like 0.2 around there now. And then you find another guy. All of a sudden you have four guys that are top 10 scorers in global, not even just their region, but in global. And then you have a goalie and you spent one ether on this team that costs, let's say, half as much as one Lewandowski card. Obviously, I would love to have a Lewandowski card, but that's not feasible. Why not buy this? Maybe I can win a Lewandowski card. I think uh, you kind of proved your point also is that the three guys that you highlighted happen to be Challenger Europe guys. So, like, you could just enter that in Challenger Europe, too. Like, you don't necessarily need to play it. In exactly. That, that's that's exactly the, the, the case, too. Like, all of a sudden, then let's say you expand a little bit within Challenger Europe and you look, Artem Zuba is 0.25, let's call it, or actually even better, like Teo Bongonda, you can pair with Juni Ito. I personally won quite a few game weeks with a straight gank stack with Ito and Bongonda, and they're combined 0.6 ETH, and they score as good, if not better than anyone. Like you look at L40, they're top 10. You look at L15, they're top 10. You look at L5, they're top 10. Like these guys are consistent scorers that are better than everyone else. Like if you scroll down the list a bit and you look at L15, like for example, card we all covet and all we all want, they're all better scorers than Killian Mbappe by a decent clip over L15, over L40. They're better, better cards by about five points per game in the L40 and 10 points per game in L15. So like, these are guys that are proven better from a utility standpoint than that of Mbappe. Sure, you can't use them in Champion Europe. You can only use them in Challenger Europe. But do you really care if you win a one ether card in Challenger Europe versus a one ether card in Champion Europe? I don't. You do lose some upside. Yes, you can't win Mbappe. You can't win Kimmich and all that stuff. But I just want to turn rewards and make as much as I possibly can. <laughs> Simple as that. Um, do you, are there any certain tournaments that you prioritize? Like, you, I mean, you just said it, you're trying to just win as much as you can, but like, do you, what do you, what lineups are you setting first? So before this rewards change, um, D3, in my opinion, was the strongest division. Um, my priority every single week was D3. I would prioritize my D3 lineup in each region first. Uh, and then D2 and D4, they don't they don't connect really at all because you can max have one card that you can play in D4 and D2 and none that you can play in D2 and D4. So what I would do is I'd prioritize D3 every single week and see where I was from there. Now, that said, like I might make some small tweaks to, to make my lineups overall better, but I would definitely look at D3 every time before I would look at the rest. Now, with the new reward structure, uh, I know people were complaining about D3. D3 still got a good upgrade, just not as good as what D2 and D4 got. Um, so now D3 is actually my lowest priority. Um, my D1 teams are pretty much just set. Like I just have a D1 team. And then if I have to pull a player, I will. But it's not something that I'm worrying about decision-making with D1. But like right now, my priority is D4 or D2, then D4, then D3. Um, and again, like I might sort of switch it up. If I have some really good super rares that will be in D3, I might prioritize D3 for that specific thing. But I think that it changes. And like I said, the midweek, I prioritized uh, 
the weekly special. And there was actually a few weeks ago where um, the Asian rewards in general were are not great uh, some of the time back in the old reward system. Like if you didn't get like a star rare, it didn't matter. I actually prioritized a weekly special in Japan um, a bit ago because it made more sense to me than else uh, elsewhere. But yeah, I think you have different things each week that factor into your decision making. Um, but I think right now we all pretty much agree that D2 and D4 are the best divisions outside of D1, obviously, which isn't as attainable for some, but I, they're definitely better right now than where D3 is currently. Yeah, that makes sense. Did, so do you treat global as like a leftover pool? Like, or do you actually prioritize global over any of the regions? Uh, no, I prioritize all the regions generally, and then I'll go to global. But that said, like sometimes, like I'll I'll keep a player for like global D four because I do want to um, I do want to always get my threshold. Like even for me, I just always am like, hey, if I get 0.02 ether, it's better than not getting anything. So I want to at least make sure that I have a good enough team to get me that. And actually, like I think I ta I've taught ten um, global D four a couple times. So like it's it's not something that I haven't done either, but I generally prioritize the regions over global. Uh, that said, sometimes I'll go global instead of like Asia and America because the, their player pools aren't as good. Where like Challenger Europe player pool is generally pretty good. The top end is generally pretty good. Uh, America and Asia may not be as good, especially in like the tier one range. Yeah, I think one of the problems that a lot of people with smaller galleries have is um they get to that point where it's like they they can field a competitive regional team uh and then they can just throw in sort of extras for all-star but you obviously lose the safety net of the threshold if your lineup like doesn't get there so like you could theoretically get zeros across the board where it's like uh, if i had just like sent put my best lineup in in all-star i would have at least get gotten the threshold Andy, do you do regionals too first yeah, I've mentioned this before. I don't know that it's always the smartest thing to do, but uh, I pretty much agree agree with everything there. I mean, I set my regionals first. Um, I Right now, I'm not prioritizing D3 at all, pri prioritizing D2, uh, D4. And like 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 PSU said, there's since there's no connection between D2 and D4, uh, it makes it uh, – it, it made it pretty easy not to not to, pri pri or to be able to do those second – but now, now with the way things are, D two D two is kind of the first one I set because a it's highest stakes, most fun, um, but it's also to me right now where the best prizes are, and my lineups kind of I've I've geared them to work for that um, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, so so that's where I go first. D four next, and then whatever's left. Like this past week, if you looked at my lineups, I just slopped together a bunch of D uh, a bunch of rares threw them in my D3s, and I hope for the best. I, I didn't do well in any of those lineups, but uh, I did not have the super just to, to support it. So it was just whatever's left, throw them in there. Yeah, and that's not to say you can't still compete when you just throw some stuff against the wall. Yeah. Uh, I, I think my best D2 week in U23, I had four super rares and a rare goalie, and my team was just slapped together and everybody went off. And I think I got like second or third in U23 D3. Well, and it just wasn't, a, it was like of the priorities, it was like 15th on my list of like where I started lineups at. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty, pretty wild. That is 
That is wild. Do you guys think that D3 is more uh, realistic for those without super rares now? Maybe just be based on the priorities of people with more right. more super rares. Like I didn't submit a lineup with super rares in D3. That might help some people, um, but I don't know. My, my, my lineups may have actually gotten better because I'm not baited into playing a super rare that I probably shouldn't be playing there. So I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah, I mean, for me, here's the thing, right? Can you compete? Yeah. Are you likely to compete? No. But if, if you have four guys, four rares put up 80-plus points, you're going to get a really good card. doesn't matter really what division it is. Um, and even if you play at a deficit, like if you play a deficit in D4, uh, I guess you D4 is the exception. It's very difficult to sort of overcome with a common. That said, we've seen people get really high up at the top end with commons. But losing 50% or really like 55, 60% on a player is a big time uh, decrease compared to where you might be elsewhere, like where it might be like 40%. Um, with, with that said, Sean, I think I saw somebody this past week, they had a DNP and they still like podiumed almost. That's yeah, that was me. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was me. Yeah, but no, that's, that's like you can still compete. Uh, it's definitely a situation where you can still compete everywhere. Yeah, Black's referring to like in America D three this week. I had no, it wasn't D three. It was D four. D four. I had three one hundreds in my goal. Yeah, like fifty points, and I had a DNP because Boo didn't play, and I ended up. <laughs> he was like your captain too. Four. Right? Was he? Was he my captain? I think he was. Yeah. So I got like no, he was my captain because no. Gil was in that line. There's okay. no way I would captain not captain Gil. Uh, but yeah, so it's a situation where like I definitely. Look, you should always enter a lineup if you have the requirements to enter a lineup, even if it's not the best lineup, uh, because you just never know. You could hit just gold one time, and that's all it takes. Like, look at every ticket as a lottery ticket. Some lottery tickets you're going to have more equity on than others, but a lottery ticket that is a dollar to win $1,000 one out of every 15 million times is still better than not even entering. Um, so speaking of that um... – this past weekend, I think I had a little bit too much to drink or something. I thought yesterday was Sunday, um, and I completely forgot to enter lineups for the midweek. So shame on me, right? Yeah, we're, we're I'm in a conversation. I have a conversation with Black and another person. There's three of us in there, and I was talking about making lineups and stuff yesterday. And of the three people, I'm the only person that entered lineups in the midweek. <laughs> that said, I said that if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, this is the right time to do that because. I mean, the prize pools were terrible in the midweek, let's be honest. So if you were ever going to have a few too many beers and miss a week, this was the time to do it. Yeah. I still feel stupid. My favorite, my favorite is that you were like, wait a minute, when, when's the deadline? And we were like, oh, it was yeah. four I was like, ago. oh, today's Tuesday? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. My favorite of that uh, Champion America D4 lineup of yours, Sean, is that if you had just used a Wondolowski common, you might have won it. Oh, I mean, you always win. Actually, no, I don't think I would have. I think someone, I think someone won it by like ninety points on me. They, they had <laughs> my I put up like four hundred, and they had like a ninety point lead on me. So someone had like the absolute nuts in that defense. The absolute nut, yeah. And like that was like typically that's not something that you see can happen. But with the way that the scores kind of shaked out in in America this week, uh, I think that the top three in D three were record setting. Uh, teams like they had scored the, the highest that they've ever scored in D3. So pretty, pretty impressive week. There's, there's been a lot of high scores recently. There's been a lot of like 
best of all time scores in a lot of regions I've noticed um, each and every week. Like there, to win stuff right now, you really got to put up a really high end score because if you don't, you're there's someone's going to. There's just so there's so many people in these the contest that like someone's going to put up a really really great score. So you have to. But th that said, like I think that. I know people have complained about rewards. Everyone has. I mean, it needed to get better, and it did. Um, but, like, even back a few weeks ago, like, if you put up good scores, like, if you put up, like, 480s and a 50, you're going to get a card. You're going to get a good card. So nothing's really changed, I guess, from that perspective uh, to, to now. But it is nicer to, like, the rewards, especially even the top-end stuff. If you get a reward in some of these divisions, it's, it's great. Like, if you get a reward in D3, D2, and D1, and that's why people don't understand – that there used to be so many clutter cards in, in some of these divisions that it was an issue. If you win a card in D3 now, yes, there may not have been as many cards last week that were given away. But if you win a card, it is a good card in D, uh, D3 now. Like you're getting a tier one card. Um, yeah. And tier one cards are really solid cards. I got two of them this week. They were probably worth 0.2 to 0.25 ether. And they, they weren't the best end of that tier either. Um, so it's really like if you're getting a card now, unless you're getting it in D4, you're getting a card worth probably 0.15 ether or more. Um, obviously, you could brick, but like D2, you're getting a pretty good card. D1, you're getting a pretty good card. Um, and, and people talk about tier two and tier three super rares being useless. I don't really buy it. Like it, I want as many any card as possible. Like we talked about it before. I think Laird and I talked about it. Back when every card sold for 0.1 or 0.2 ETH, I didn't care what the reward was. You just give me your card, I'm 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 good. Like you give me three cards a week and they're all turds. I'm still getting like between that and the threshold, I'm getting like 0.1 ETH every single week. Like that's fantastic. I mean, talk about winning cards being fun. Somebody won a Jao Paulo uh tier three super rare. Uh what? He's tier three super rare? Like that's that's crazy. And just kind of being in uh, and kind of just being involved and being able to win that prize is pretty awesome. Like just. Yeah. I, I, win, right? or I kind of wish that we've, everyone's obviously again, talked about prize pools and whatnot. The, the issue with the prize pools is when they screw the top up. If you win, yeah, sure. I felt terrible for the, it actually worked out for me. Cause so this one guy passed me the one week and I got, a Pedro Gonzalez card, and then he got like random Milan loser. I forget who it was. I think it was Leao or something. Nothing against Leao, but he got he did it. He hit it twice. He got twice, two yeah, star, right. yeah. He got two star rares, and both of them turned out to be like Milan turds. They can't screw up the top end. If you screw up the top end, it's a disaster. Yeah, I'm all for like throw a random great card in deep in like tier three or tier two, like you want to throw a Joao Paulo. Eh, I wouldn't maybe do it as much for the super rares as I would rares, but like, you want to throw like a Jesus Medina in tier three and someone wins that. Awesome. Like put it in the prize pool. Like, I look through the prize pools and see like what I can win. Um, I don't really look through tier two and tier three. I used to, at the beginning, I was looking through every tier to see what I can win. But like, if you're looking at tier three and you're like, man, I could win this Joao Paulo. That's awesome. Like, that's cool. Someone's going to win it. And if you're like, hey, someone won it, like maybe I can win it another time. For sure. It gives you hope, even though your card isn't that great. And people complain about getting rewards. I don't get, I don't care. Give me all the rewards. I don't care who it is. Any single card on the site, I can sell for $10. So 
you don't want a card and you just don't want it at all, send it to me for free. I'll happily take whoever it is. I don't care. Um, I agree. I'll happily take any free cards anybody wants to send. So um, I'm out of questions. Andy, you got any? Uh, we, we didn't really get into like like scouting like like individual players um, and researching individual players. Like I'll, I'll talk a little bit about a reward I won today. I won Alan Varela. Um, had no idea who he was at all. Plays for Boca. Um, I get this card and I'm like, the first, like, what are the steps that I would take? And I would like to hear the steps that you guys would take when you receive a card like that. Like the first thing I did, of course, pulled up so rare data. Yeah. I looked at what he was selling for because that kind of gives me a gauge of what the the market is for him. Like, do, do, are, do people desire this player or not? And then I looked at his, uh, his scores. So I pulled up his scoring chart and I looked at his L15, L40. Um, and then I went over to transfer market mm -hmm. and I was like, how much is this player worth in the real world? You know, is he a desired player on the open market? Um, kind of looked at comparable players. Uh, and then, which I didn't look at that. I should have looked at the comparable players on server air data. That would have been a cool thing to look at. Um, and then the last thing I did was I pulled up a YouTube video, like a montage video to see the type of player he was. And immediately I saw that he's a ball winning CDM uh, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, possesses the ball, wins the ball. Um, doesn't look like there's a ton of upside on this player. Um, he's young, and maybe he turns into a little bit different player, but uh, he's the type of player that's going to win the ball in the midfield and keep the ball. And uh, that's actually a player that I really, really like. He is a he's going to end up being a high ceiling player, I think. And uh, at the super rare, I mean, that might be a guy that I plug into my my D threes eventually where. Uh, I know that I'll always get maybe 50 out of that super rare card. Great. And then, and maybe even the D2s, we'll see uh, if I have, you know, the need to, to throw him in there. But uh, that, that was kind of my, my thought process on breaking that player down. What do you, what do you, what do you guys do when you win something and you don't know who they are? So before Sean jumps in, I just pulled him up the similar players on server data. Yeah. I don't know if you mentioned that the kid is 19 years old. So you have, it was a U23. Uh, right. Ryan Gravenberch is the first similar. Player. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. That sounds nice, right? Yeah, it does. That's it's, great. He, it's, I, it's, that's exactly how I do it. Um, I look at some of our data. I see what their scores have been, see what they've done. Then I look at their, what their price points are. Cause anytime, anytime I get a player, it doesn't matter who it is. First thing I do is go to server data, sort of see what the sell points are. Mm -hmm. um, you just, you just don't know on a lot of these players. Like you can't know right. all yeah, the thousands of players in the database. <clears throat> it's not possible. Um, and then that's what I do. I go, I go to transfer market and I see how much the person's worth. If I get a player that's worth like 10 million, 10 million euros, I'm like, Oh, I don't care if the guy's not really playing. I'm pretty right. happy with that poll. Um, so like, yeah, like I literally, as you were doing it, the, before you said it, I went to transfer market and Varela's worth 2.2 million euros, which is good. Most of the leagues, like in Japan, like none of the players go for 2 million euros or like MLS, like none of the prospects go for two. So like you have a prospect that's worth like 2.2 million euros. That's really solid and that's favorable. Um, so that's the first thing I did. So I think I do the exact same things. I have done a couple highlight video packages on people. Uh, Yari is, is one of them that I've done highlight videos on. Um, and, and Cherokee was another one that I did highlight videos on. I was familiar with him, but not to the extent of what he was per se um, and who he could be. 
So it's a definite situation that I think you have to do. Like you have to know the only way to properly value a card or know what to do with the card is if you actually know who the card is and what to expect out of the card. Um, so I think that's a crucial thing to do. And like you said, hey, the guy's a ball winning defensive mid. As a guy we you and I have talked about recently, Alan Cervantes. Yep. He sort of seems like he could be that guy. Well, if you get this kid at 19 years old that is basically Alan Cervantes averaging 55 a week with all of it being all around score. That's a guy you can use for four years in U23. You can use him in region. You can use him in global. He's a guy that's going to keep your, your slate alive and keep your game week alive for yep. other people to win it for you, which is a great card to have. Yeah. So like talking about lineup construction, we didn't really even get into that, but a guy that can keep your lineup alive, like that is actually something super important. And I have, uh, unintentionally, I've purchased some of those players and plugged them into the lineups, and they're those high-floor players, and you just hope to get your decisive elsewhere. Yeah, it's not like they can't get decisive. I think uh, we mm -hmm. you guys mentioned it earlier today, right? Like, if this guy averages 25 all-around games, like, let's say this guy averages 25 points. Like, this guy's going to play, give you 25 points, you're at 60. He's going to get a decisive every now and then. Every player in the world gets them. I think he's had one decisive in the past, like, year and a half or something. Yeah, but, like, it's – if you're going to get a decisive, you get it. hey, you can get a last-man tackle or a clearance off the line. Sure. You know when that – especially, like, young guys. Young guys can grow into that type of stuff. If your guy gets 60 points for you every single game week in all-around score, that week when he gets you a decisive – that's the guy that wins you the game week. So like, sure. you want to play, you want guys that can like get those bigger scores. Like let's say you play a junior Ito and he gets you a brace and gets you like 78, 80 points. Awesome. But the guys that really win you the game weeks are these guys that put up 65 points, Nick a cheap assist somewhere and hit 85 to 90 out of nowhere. Because these are guys that like the top end galleries, uh, people have been talking about the top end galleries and like who they play and whatnot. Like, all of these people are playing Lewandowski. They're playing Mbappe. They're playing – well, if Mbappe has 100 points, yeah, you lose. Great. You're yep, you right. that. But let's say Mbappe has 45 points. You know who so-and-so doesn't have in their lineup? Alan Varela. And that's where the key is, is, like, you get differentials by just having this guy. Like, how many people are running Alan Varela in Global D3? Probably not many because – People that have Alan Varela just might not use him or he's just not a guy that's coveted or they have better players to use. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of the time that can work in your favor. Like you have guys, I've stacked some defensive teams that, um, yeah, hey, they might not get a clean sheet very often, but when they do, I would expect huge scores from their goalie and from their defenders. And if I stack it, uh, my one of my teams I talk about, RKC Walwick in uh, the Riva de Vici, they barely escaped relegation. They're a pretty good defensive team. They can't really score goals. But let's say there's 40 games in a season and they keep a clean sheet six times. Well, those six times they keep a clean sheet, the goalie probably has like 75 to 80. The center backs probably have 60 to 70 at least. I'm a very likely to win a very good card that week. So, like, that gives you six times a year where you're very likely to win a card. And it's something we talked about with goalies before, right? Like, I know Langerak was someone that we talked about in Asia uh, recently. And you looked at his logs and over the course of the, he had a stretch where I don't think he conceded for like 11 games. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and in that stretch, he didn't concede for 11 games. These were his scores, 63, 62, 63, 60, 60. You know who, you know what goalies are going to beat him? Every single goalie that gets a clean sheet. So like, even though, yeah, like obviously like if you give me 60 points from every goalie every week to lock in, yeah, I'm going to take them every single time. But the issue is, is like, let's look at Langerak when he concedes 19, 14, brutal. 33, yeah. 24. You're not going to do very well with that. So, like, I would much rather have guys that have a good all-around game and then could also get you a clean sheet. A uh, good person to look at for this is Kaylor Navas. Uh, I think he's one of the better all-around goalies there. Uh, and, and like I said, like, forget about his age. Forget about what team he's on, all this stuff. They just look at his all-around score. This is what he's getting when he concedes for 51, 52, 46, 47. This is what he's getting when he when he gets a clean sheet. 66, 84, 70, 91. So you look at a player like this at, at goalie, and I, we'll talk about goalie doesn't matter. We can have another another show where we just talk about goalie doesn't matter. Uh, we'll have a special guest for that one with us on it. Um, but like so, Langerak and Kaylor Navas. If you put them together and you put them side by side. Every single time that Novice has a clean sheet, Novice wins. Every single time. Obviously, there will be the random occasion where he doesn't, but 90% of the time, Novice wins. Every single time Langerak concedes, Novice wins. For sure. The only time Langerak wins is when Langerak does not concede and Novice does. However, as I just went down and looked through these numbers on those games, where Langerak doesn't concede and Navas does, he only wins by like 10 points. There's a 10-point difference. Yeah. yeah. So like I have these are the situations you end up in. You have Navas concedes, Langerak concedes, you win by 15. You have Langerak concedes, Navas doesn't, you win by like 50. You have Langerak doesn't concede, Navas does, you win by like 10. So like in the whole grand scheme of things, like there's one scenario where Langerak scores better than him. Every and it's by like 10 points. Every other scenario, novice wins by 10 points or more. So it's just a situation like I want the guys that can get clean sheets. Um, yeah, like obviously, like do I want Langerak? Do I want Adnan? Yeah, yeah, like I want these guys, like they're still great players, but I gotta pay a lot more for them than I gotta pay for someone like Costas Lamprew or uh or random person in in Japan, like, and these guys, like, yeah, like, you probably are going to lose more weeks, but you know what the thing is, too? When that guy doesn't concede, everybody else played Lamp or Langerak, and you have Lee Tehui. I know he's benched now, but he's just the guy that came to mind. Like, you have Lee Tehui, who just got you 75 points, and everyone else that has a big gallery has Langerak that gets 30. Well, hey, you're like a, a full player ahead of what they did. Um, so it's just like being different than what the big galleries can do is, is crucial because like, if, if I'm playing, if you, let's say you have a small gallery and somehow you have Mbappe and you talk about one of the whales and they have Mbappe, well, their Joshua Kimmich is going to be a lot better than your Omar Gobea. Their Ryu Kikuchi is going to be way better than your, um, I don't know, whoever. Really? So it's a situation like you really want your team to be different than what all of these people. And I really, I thought about that in D1 too. So 
uh, AJ has Elite America D1. Uh, and, and the issue is, is that, like, let's say I there was an Alex Rain Unique the other day, and I was thinking about getting the Alex Rain Unique. Well, the issue is, like, let's say I get the Alex Rain Unique. He also has a Sean Johnson Unique, and I run Sean Johnson a lot in America D1. And so I'm sitting there, and I look at it. It's like, all right, he runs a Rain Unique. I run a Rain Unique. We're even. He runs a Johnson Unique. I run a Johnson Super Rare. He's plus 25 points on me right there. And then he runs a Diego Rossi unique. And I sit there and I'm running Lucas Cavallini. Well, I don't want to be on the same path as him because right. I, you want to be a lot different than him. Yeah, I want to be a lot different than him. So that like, let's say Diego Rossi doesn't score or Al Jarin gets a red card. I can actually win that week because I'm different than what he is. I don't want to mirror what he does because if I mirror what he does, He's going to be better than me at that over the long run because his cards are better than mine in some of those yep. situations. Um, so you just you really need to sort of be a little bit different, and there's ways to do it without being fully different. Like make a Chicago Fire stack. But like make a Chicago Fire stack. One of these weeks, I'm going to win D2 America with a Chicago Fire stack, and you know it's true. Yeah, you are. And the thing is, is like so the Chicago Fire stack. Let's take out the Madron unique that I got. Right, it cost me let's say 1 to 1.5 ether to get the entire Chicago Fire stack that I have. I'm going to win D2 at some point or a minimum podium. I'm going to recoup the whole team whenever I do that. They're probably going to have two good weeks on the year. Oh, they come on this, now. Be careful. Well, I mean, it's really <laughs> but like, let's say they have two good weeks. Well, man, I just, I just doubled my ROI on the whole team there. Let's say they have three good weeks. Oh man, it's not even just that too. Is like the other week they lost one nil. I played my stack. They lost one nil. I finished thirty points off a card in D two, and this was before right new rewards. You probably want a card. Yeah, it's like you're talking like any of my four people get a score point in that game. I get a card. Two of them get a score point. I podium. So like you're just talking like they don't even really. Sometimes it all depends on the week. You have the right people. Like someone goes off, let's say Calvo goes off 80 and they get a clean sheet and I have Shuttlesworth and he gets 70. The other guys don't have to do very much for me to get a card. So like, yeah, there's going to be a week where I win that division. There's going to be a week where I just, Hey, I sneak a, a T2 for 0.2 ether. It all adds up in the long run. It's the most positive I've ever heard anyone talk about the Chicago fire. And we had Evaldo on the podcast. Yeah, well, I don't know if you can get any positivity out of Evaldo. It's tough. <laughs> but it, you can, you, whenever Chicago Fire wins me D2 America, I'll, I'll come back on. And well, maybe they'll win me D2 Global. Who knows? Nice. Um, and I'll come back on and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Chicago Fire stack. You can bring some confetti, throw it up in the air. And, and you know. I'll, I'll buy a Medron jersey. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll wear it. Nice. It'll be great. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Uh, I got nothing else. I think we, uh, I don't know if we can stop talking about the Chicago fire anymore. So uh, Sean, thank you very much for coming on. Once again, this is the So Rare Andrews podcast brought to you by Rotowire. Uh, if anyone's interested in subscribing to Rotowire or at least try us out, you can go to rotowire.com slash soccer trial, gets you 10 free days to the site. No credit card required. Access to all the sports we cover as well as all the detailed, including, excuse me, all the detailed uh, MLS and other soccer stats that we have on the site. So feel free to check that out. Once again, Sean, thank you very much for joining us. And Andy, I'll talk to you next week.
Thank you for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. For more great content, visit rotowire.com slash soccer. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.